0: Good morning, my name is Calvin Clark, and I'll be reading scripture this morning. The first scripture is Joshua 1, 1 1-9. After the death of Moses, the servant of the Lord, the Lord said to Joshua, son of Nun, Moses' aide, Moses, my servant, is dead. Now then, you and all these people, get ready to cross the Jordan River into the land I'm about to give to them, to the Israelites. I will give you every place where you set foot. As I promised Moses, your territory will extend from the desert to Lebanon and from the great river, the Euphrates, and Hittite country to the Mediterranean Sea in the west. No one will be able to stand against you all the days of your life. As I was with Moses, so I will be with you. I will never leave you nor forsake you. Be strong and courageous because you will lead these people to inherit the land Have I not commanded you? Be strong and courageous. Do not be afraid. Do not be discouraged. For the Lord your God will be with you wherever you go. The second is Luke 12, 27 to 34. Consider how the wild flowers grow. They do not labor or spin. Yet I tell you, Not even Solomon, in all his splendor, was dressed like one of these. If that is how God clothes the grass of the field, which is here today, and tomorrow is thrown into the fire, how much more will he clothe you? You of little faith. And do not set your heart on what you will eat or drink. Do not worry about it. For the pagan world runs after such things, and your father knows that you need them. But seek his kingdom.
1: Well, we've really been on quite the trip, haven't we? If you've been following through and reading the the chapters in the story, then you have discovered that you probably fit in somewhere there already. The story somehow can surround you and you go, aha, there I am. And you can identify yourself. But when we come to try to or when we, when we come to sort of identify the major themes, because you'll notice that the story is up, and then it's down, and then it's up, and then it's down. And when we come to identify the major themes, here's where I think we can land firmly. One, the journey is based upon faith. We're going to look at that. The journey is based upon faith plus obedience. We're going to look at that. And the journey is based upon faith and obedience and what do we do with our sin. We're going to look at that as well. The battle begins. The battle begins and ends by the measure of your, my faith. that's crucial if we're going to get into this story at all it's what have we done with our god that enables us to believe because faith is defined by two elements element number one what is your definition of god i don't mean your sunday school definition I don't mean the definition that you might give when you sit in your life group and you have to describe God and and you put all the attributes around him. I'm talking about the God you live with Monday through to Sunday. I'm talking about the God who you dare to lean into or lean back from. I'm talking about the God who has the ability to take you from here to here, from here to here, and you don't know the in-between stuff. And so in the in-between stuff, is your God big enough to get you through it? Our faith is defined by our definition of God. Why? Because by your, own, your faith is defined by your own determination to live within that definition. If your God is big, you'll step out big. But if you have found all kinds of reasons to doubt and mistrust and slip away from or or, or any kind of excuse to, to really not engage him, then I want you to know your God has shrunk down to your size. And he's not very effective. As a matter of fact, as we looked at last week's story, that's what really happened to the first generation of those who left Egypt, isn't it? They started off triumphant. We're leaving Egypt. Look at, he's rescued us. Got a little worried when they got to the Red Sea, but then they watched him. And they saw this great God, and then they watched him give them victory over the two kings. And as they were going along, they watched, they, they experienced his manna and his quail. They watched it all. But their God was simply the God of provision, he was not the God who defeats the enemy. And when they got to the edge of the promised land, They liked the grapes, but they ran from the giants. Their God had shrunk down to their interpretation of what God can do. And the wilderness wasn't a lot of fun. And for 40 years, they wandered around because they dared to, or because they lacked the faith, they dared to step into the territory that God had already provided for them. Faith. And so Joshua looks at these people, and in the ninth verse of the first chapter, he says, have I not commanded you, be strong and courageous? It's really a theme that runs throughout this little book over and over again. It's this call to be strong and courageous because the good and faithful God knows our human side as well. He's not beating us up because we struggle. He would have gladly have taken those children of Israel, hits humway, if they had repented and moved them into this promised land, I'm thinking. We don't get that story. I just simply know that God, we're going to see later on that God is the God of second chances. He wants to do that. But in the midst of all of that, he eyeballs us and he says, Are you up for the task? Are you up for the job? Are you prepared in this moment of challenging doubt and disbelief and the what-ifs, and I'm not sure. I've never done that, been there before. Are you sure that in that picture, you can take yourself up to this language? Be strong and courageous. Over and over and over again, Joshua gives this little command. Because if you are, then you're ready. If you dare to make God a God-sized thing, then he's going to send his spirit into your heart and says, good, get your provisions ready. Look at this. This is in verses 10 and 11 of Joshua 1. So they're all ready to go. God, he, his, he's, Joshua said, don't be afraid. Do not be discouraged, for the Lord your God will be with you. And then he says to the officers of the people, no, I want you to go through the camp and tell the people, get your provisions ready. I wonder as I look at my own life, I wonder as I look at the big picture of the church, I wonder if we have enjoyed prayer meetings more than getting our provisions ready. I wonder if we have enjoyed this moment more than actually collecting the stuff that's gonna be required to step into the responsibilities of tomorrow. You see, if they're gonna conquer, the pro- if they're gonna get into the promised land, if they're gonna conquer the enemy there, they have to pull themselves together. What means, that's what it means to be strong and courageous in one way. Do we dare to step now into the faith that we said we're willing to, uh, uh, to step into? Do you know why? Get your provisions ready. Three days from now, you will cross the Jordan. Now, they're there ways back from the Jordan at this point in time, they're not sitting on the banks. But I'm sure people have gone and investigated what's going on. There's the people that move forward. And the reports would have come back, I'm thinking, I'm adding a bit to the story, I'm just thinking how this all flows when you try to strategically move from this place to this place, and the report would have come back, have you seen the Jordan? The Jordan isn't the muddy little creek that John baptized people in. This is springtime, the snows have melted, the river is wide, and it's flowing hard. And he says, three days from now, you're going to cross it. Across the Jordan here, because that's when you go in and you take possession of the land the Lord your God has giving, you giving for you to own. My suspicion is that we all have a Jordan. My suspicion is that if God's got a task for you, he's planted something in front of you that's going to give you or, or cause you to make a critical decision. I can or I can't and you step back into your definition of God, don't you? How big is this God when he brings you up to the task in front of you and you shake your head at it or you wonder, what am I going to do with it? There's a Jordan here, and it's not gonna be an easy cross. Hmm. But you have to cross it to take possession of the land the Lord your God has given you for your own. Get your provisions ready. And then when we skip down into verses 16 and 18, we get this response. And he says, Then they answered Joshua, Whatever you have commanded us, we will do. And wherever you send us, we will go. Just as we fully, uh, fully obeyed Moses, so we will obey you. Only may the Lord your God be with you as he was with Moses. And goes on and gives some interesting warnings about those who don't want to do it. Wherever you have commanded us, we will go. Makes a good sermon. We could preach the points. We could get all inspired. But here's, here's our truth this morning. We've got a promised land we're moving to, friends. Our pastor defined that in very simple ways. Well, not simple. Gave us a good, a good description of it. We have a promised land And those of you who are in the meeting called Move the Core, you know that the promised land has got a number attached to it. It's called 80,000. And when we stop and think about the possibilities of moving into that kind of territory, we definitely got a Jordan River in front of us because we've sat here for a while as a 400 congregation. Pastor Steve dared to bring out, fact, the truth about that, that particular figure, and he called it plateau we become comfortable. We've kind of settled down. We like the place, great music. We get great sermons every Sunday. But the truth is, we're living on this side of Jordan, and it's not what God has promised. When God gave the picture to our pastor of 80,000, it's the size in our context. It's the size of not conquering Jericho. It's the size of conquering the nation of Israel, the promised land. And we need to get into it somehow. We have to follow it. There's a way that we got to do this. It's critical. It's interesting to realize that God... I I think Lori described it really beautiful when she talked about that opening chapter of, of Joshua. But the truth of the matter is, God has already walked into the 80,000. He's not back here with our group of 400. He's already knows the faces. And then he comes back into our context, and he says, I want to introduce you to them. I want to take you into that territory, and we look at it, and we say, who's ever thought of winning 80,000 people in a city of 32? Well, obviously, it's going to take more than a city of 32 in order to reach it. Our, his vision that he gave to us was far bigger than the city of Moose Jaw. But if he's going to take us into it, we need to understand he's already in it. I love this account. out of, The two spies go in, right? <clears throat> They, uh, they, they they've just kind of scouted out Jericho, that's their starting point. And they have been taken in by a lady by the name of Rahab. And Rahab has hidden them then, protected them against the armies of Jericho who got rumored that they were around and were trying to get rid of them. And after she had lied, sent the army, the, 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 army, the soldier type guys, on their way in an opposite direction, she came and had a conversation with them. I want you to listen to this conversation. It's beautifully recorded in chapter 2, verses 8 to 11. And Before the spies lay down for the night, soldiers had gone. She went back up on the roof, and she said to them, I know that the Lord has given you this land, and that a great fear of you has fallen on us, so that all who live in this country are melting in fear because of you. We've heard how the Lord dried up the water of the Red Sea. For you, when, when you came out of Egypt and, and what you did to, uh, to Sion and Og, the two kings of the Amorites east of the Jordan, <clears throat> when you completely, whom you completely destroyed, when we heard of it, our hearts melted in fear and everyone's courage failed because of you. For the Lord your God is God in heaven above and on earth below. You see, God had already gotten into Jericho long before they even tried crossing the the Jordan River. He was already there, and the enemy is shaking in their boot to the point of silence. They've melted in fear. I've been thinking about that. I'm thinking that in Canada, Saskatchewan, the enemy isn't the people who live in the houses around us. The enemy is the one who's convincing us we can't do it. I wanted to start this message off and got excited and didn't with this verse. Ephesians chapter 6, verse 10 to 12. Finally, finally. Now, finally isn't the last act. Finally is, finally you're ready. Finally, we're getting ready for this. Finally, we're going to move into this. This isn't the last thing. This is actually the beginning. Finally, be strong in the Lord and in his mighty power. This is Paul using the language, really, in a sense, Joshua and of Moses, if you go back in this story. Put on the full armor of God so that you can take your stand against the devil's schemes. For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the powers of the dark world, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. When we cross our Jordan, there's still an enemy. And that enemy has the potential of trembling in his shoes. Because, you see, he can go back and he can remember what God has done. That enemy can, can go back and remember that there was a group of people who dared to believe and step out in faith and declared mighty things and saw the mighty acts of God and they saw a denomination grow and it was called the apostolic church. But that enemy goes back a little farther because he wanders back into history and he knows that when people get serious about God, his, he, he, he is defeated. His walls are going to crumble in on him and there's nothing he can do about it. No, he... he He remembers the stories of the great Welsh Revival and the the, the miracles because a group of women got together to pray. He remembers about the movements that took place in the northeastern United States. He remembers about the movement that took place in Saskatoon back in the 60s. He remembers it all. And he knows that when people get a hold of that kind of God, then he is in trouble. He knows it. The thing that he likes is first-generation Israelites who walk up to it and say, we can't. And we'll just kind of wander around in the wilderness. We'll just be satisfied with our present state of of affairs. Status quo feels kind of comfortable. It's safe. But, oh, I'll tell you, if we're going to disturb the enemy... If we're going to walk in and claim the cities of Jericho or the cities of Israel, starting with our Jerichos, then we need an enemy who sees the possibilities of what God has already done. The John Wesleys, the George Whitfields, the Martin Luthers, that when they dared to stand up for the cause of Christ, then the, temp- then the, then the walls of, of evil and darkness began to fall in around them. We are a force, my friends, To be contended with if we will dare to step up to the Jordan River if we'll be willing to be strong and courageous and move where we have never moved before we're a force to be contended with 80,000 in the mind of God is pittance he looks at a world of billions and he wants the church to capture that world and he calls us into it But he graciously gives us a small part of it. He gives us a picture of 80,000. And he says, will you go there? Will you step into it? Will you move? Well, it takes the foolishness of faith, absolutely, for us to go there. It's interesting, um, this story of the Jordan River, because God Short story, hope you're reading the book, the story. You've already been there before me too. But the story of Jericho is such a simple one. There's an ark that's the representation of God's presence. There's the, the priests who are prepared to take and carry the ark and lead a group of people forward. I want you to know right now, the priests aren't necessarily the paid staff of Hillcrest. There's priests sitting out here right now that God is calling to pick up and put their shoulder to the ark and begin to move in directions that we've never even seen or thought possible. I hope the staff at Hillcrest are going to help us do that. I hope I can help us. I hope that that my call in ministry and life groups is going to help to form this group. But I want you to know that this picture is way bigger than a group of people that have been hired by one church. He's looking at you and he says, you're my royal priesthood. You're my holy people. You're the ones that I call. Come on the journey with us. This is where we need to go. So they come to the Jordan River. Here's the plan. Priests, put the ark on your shoulders. The rest of you, you stand way back there, okay? And, um, and when, I, when I give the word, we're going to across the Jordan River. Some interesting language here. Let's look at it. I, I don't want you to think I'm making up stories here. It's Joshua 3, verses 1 to 8. Early in the morning, Joshua and all the Israelites set out from Shittim. That's where back where they were, awaits back from the Jordan. And out from there and went to the Jordan where they camped before crossing. So they've seen the Jordan, it's right there in front of them, they've taken their pictures. And after three days, the officers went throughout the camp, giving orders to the people. So you need leaders in the midst of it. And when you see the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord your God and the Levitical priests carrying it, you are to move out from your positions and follow it. Then you will know which way to go. Listen to these words. Since you've never been there before. Isn't that an amazing statement? When God calls us to enter into this great, big, huge, impossible picture, he says, follow me. You don't know where you're going, but I do. I've already been there, tracked it out, arrested, arranged everything necessary. You just come along with me. He's such a gracious God that way. These people haven't been there. So he says, no, you come along, you follow. You've never been that way before. But keep a distance about a, about 2,000 cubits between you and the ark and don't go near it. This is a very, very important understanding. It's a whole sermon in itself. But I want you to know that we're not just talking about a God that might show up. We're talking about a holy God and we don't dare just walk up and slap him on the back. Well, he wants to be our friends, and there's many times where we feel his arms embrace us. Let him do that. But when we're moving forward for him, we're dealing with a God that created the heavens above and the earth below, and he is holy. And when we stand back and try to decide whether we want to follow him, this isn't a choice between a good guy and a bad guy. We are making choices in the face of this awesome, amazing, holy God that the children of Israel had to stand way back from his presence as they prepared to go through the Jordan River. But then he gives this task to the priests. Tells the people, consecrate yourself. Tomorrow you're going to see amazing things. I love the word amazing. Don't skip over it. It's not just amazing. It's amazing. You're going to see something you have never seen before. You heard the story of the Red Sea? I'm going to give you a sample of that. And he's going to walk us, he's going to walk these people into that. But consecrate yourself, get yourself ready, commit yourself to God, because this is a God thing. This isn't a Joshua thing. And then Joshua said to the priest, Take up the Ark of the Covenant, pass on ahead of the people. So they took it up and they went ahead of them. And then the Lord said to Joshua, Today I will begin to exalt you in the eyes of all Israel, so that they may know that I am with you as I was with Moses. And then tell the priests who carry the Ark of the Covenant, when you reach the edge of the Jordan waters, go and stand in the river. Fine. Ark on shoulders. Let's go, guys. We're going to stand in the what? We're we're looking at this fast, roaring, moving river. You don't step into that and stay standing. When you step into something like that, you know it's going to be, and out you go, ark and all. When we talk about faith, when we even utter the words from our mouths, we have to realize that this great, holy, amazing God is asking us to step into his territory. The impossible. He's asking us to start walking through and into the river. There's no sign ahead. There's there's no sort of sample preview on this one. He didn't sit down and give them the game plan the night before and say, here's how it's going to go. I'm going to stop the waterway up here, and it'll run out, and it's all going to be... He didn't. He said, I just want you to walk up to the river, and I want you to step into it. Friends, the challenge of the 80,000 is our willingness to go where we have never gone before because there's a holy, almighty God that has gone ahead of us. Can we trust him? Can we dare to do what we think at this point is utterly impossible and crazy imagination and makes for a good move the core meeting, a good moment of inspiration? No, we're talking about realities here. We're talking about a God who sees the 80,000, like I said, and wants to move into it. No, we're talking about the foolishness and the faith, and they stepped into that, and the story became an interesting story. Here's what's really interesting, though. After they got across that first little junt and stepped on the other side, everybody came through, everybody's intact, the possessions are all with them, ready to go. Joshua doesn't say now, okay, guys, here it is, Jericho. No, something happens before that. As as he's moving towards the call that God has placed on them, a very important event takes place. Lori read it to us. The incarnate Jesus shows up in front of Moses or Joshua because there's an important word that needs to be spoken here. This has to be a reminder over and over again the 80,000 is my task, not yours. You're going to help me. You're going to lead there. I need you. You're my instruments. You're my ambassadors. He gives us all kinds of language to describe the job. But I want you to know that the reason you don't get the 80,000 is because it's not your job to get the 80,000. It's your job to step into the river and start moving to your first target. That's what he calls us to because he knows that's what we can handle. That's, what, that's, what, that's, that's the call he takes us into. And, and we read in chapter 5. Joshua sees this guy, 13 and 15, standing with the drawn sword in his hand, and he wants to know, are you for me or are you against me? Good question. Neither, he replied, but as commander of the army of the Lord, I have come now. Then Joshua fell face down to the ground. Remember, we're walking, we're w- walking and living in the midst of a holy God. He's not trivialized. He's not given cute names and titles. He's the holy God. In fact, Jesus says to Joshua, you better take your shoes off. This is holy ground we're standing on. And if we're going to ever take any territory, we're going to move because the ground around you is holy. It's not just designed for the benefit of your, of your strategies. No, we're moving hand in hand with this awesome, amazing God. The commander of the Lord's army replied, take off your sandals for the place for standing is holy. And Joshua did so. Do we know our God like that? Is he the convenient God? Remember we talked at the beginning, is he just this this happy face God that we hope will show up when we need him to do the things in our world? Or is he the God that goes wherever we go? Is he the God of the impossible? Is he the God that will surround us and embrace us and keep us safe on the impossible journey that he calls us to? That's the God we need. And friends, he's holy. He's holy. And because he is, he says, I want you to consecrate yourself because I want you to be holy as I am holy. We're gonna see in a minute that one of the things that will keep us back from the 80,000 isn't just fear and doubt and questions and thinking it's the impossible and deciding the wilderness is more comfortable. No, we're going to have to stop and look inwardly. We're going to see that in a minute. Foolishness of faith. Step into the river, the river priest. Let's go for it. The other silliness of faith as we move into this story is this huge unknown They've come up to the silent city of Jericho. Now, you would think a city that's heard about all the stuff that went on previously would have their army out in force. They'd be marching around the the top of the the walls of this great enormous, uh, the great enormous walls of this city. You'd think they'd be ready, bow and arrow in hand, ready to shoot them. You'd think they'd be standing there with cauldrons of boiling oil or whatever they did in those days to dump down. We've got to save ourselves. There should be panic going on. But they come up to the walls of Jericho silent. I don't know what you'd think if you walked up to a city like that and there was no evidence of what's going on. Silence behind the walls. It's a trap. That's what it is. And you begin to then start to, to, to sort of redesign your thoughts around this reality that you don't understand. Oh, we do that so well. God says, here, here's your place right now. And then we want to design that reality around what we're thinking and feeling. When God says, no, forget the silence. I just want you to walk around the city. And I want you to do it six days, once around. And on the seventh day, we're just going to do this thing. And you're going to blow your horns and your trumpets. And the walls are going to cave in. I'm thinking there would be a lot of thinking when you walk around that city of silence. What are we doing? This is embarrassing. This is a stupid idea. You don't win huge walled cities by little hikes around the walls. I'm sure there's all kinds of struggles, but the beauty of this story is they did it. The foolishness of faith won through. The word of their God became explicit. If he said it, we will do it in fact the best line out of all of this is found in chapter 6 verse 2 or 1 and 2 and now the great now the gates of jericho were securely barred because of the israelites no one went out no one came in this is silence and then the lord said to joshua see oh i love that word in the mouth of god we don't get it very often and when we get it, i'm not sure we always understand it but he says see I have delivered Jericho. I have delivered Jericho. I've delivered Jericho. See? You see, the word see in the and through the lips of God is one powerful word. It's the reminder, I've already been there. We walk day at a time. Trusting Jesus as we should, but we forget he's already been in it. I have already delivered. The walls are intact, everything's normal. They're just trekking around the city. But God says, See, I have delivered. I've delivered Jericho into your hands along with its king and its fighting men. It's a powerful word in the mouth of God. His sight is very different than ours. That's why he can politely ask us to do the impossible, because it's only impossible to those who haven't seen the city fall. To him, it's common sense, part of the journey. Here we go, Already. scene is set, let's go for it. That, that's the road, that's the journey he takes us on. He says, see, I have delivered. 80,000 people. If we would dare to believe that and step into the fro, he's already seen the faces. He knows the first one that's going to fall to Satan, from Satan, out of Satan's out of Satan's hand. He knows the second, the third. He knows the 10,000th person that's going to come to Jesus. He's already been there. He's saying to his people, see, I have given you 80,000 people. I dared to tell that to Steve, Pastor Steve, he, he dared to tell the congregation, this is a reality. Now we get a choice. We can sit here in our pew and say 80,000 people, or we can begin to walk around the wall. And it's going to feel a little foolish perhaps at first. We're not quite sure how to do it. Remember the Jordan trek? Follow God. You've never been there before. The beauty of the trek around Jericho is this. In the crossing of Jordan, the ark was strategically placed in front of the people. In the battle of Jericho, the ark is strategically placed in the middle of the people. There was an army that went ahead and there was an army that went behind. The the ark strategically placed in our presence because after we've been to prayer meeting, after we've heard the sermons, after we've been inspired in our personal devotions, it's not us saying, go ahead there, God, now let's get at this. He says, no, you go ahead. But here's the deal. I will never leave you. I will never forsake you. I will always be with you. Wherever that journey takes you, you are going to make it on one account. I am in your midst. That's what made sense of the trek around Jericho. If we think it's silly, God's with us. If this is a foolish thing for us, then I guess it's a foolish thing for God. This is just what he's asked us to do. He knows what he's doing, friends. That's the message for us this morning. He's got the plan, and he's already been there. See, I have delivered. See, these are the two initiating requirements for faith. Trusting a God that's big enough to be the God he describes himself to be, number one. And two, being strong and courageous enough to obey no matter how foolish it seems or impossible or irrational. Seven-day trek, whatever, around the city. No, the foolish, impossible, irrational will only make sense when God is in the midst and we give him permission to reside there. It's kind of strange, isn't it, sovereign God? all-powerful God of heaven, God of earth. And he's out there, well, he's, no, he's here. But in terms of being functional among us, he's waiting for us to say we're ready. We're ready to go, doesn't matter. We're ready, we're ready to go. 80,000 people, here we come. That's our promised land. Here's a side note. Rahab, this amazing lady who rescues these two slaves. Let me back up a bit. I'm guessing in a crowd this size, there are those of you out there who are saying, can't do it. I can't do that. You, you You don't know me. You don't you don't know my past. You don't know my present struggles. You, you don't know me. And, and, and I'll be glad to provide the meals for the potluck, but I think you better get out there and do it. I, I am not fit for this task. You do not understand that. I'm glad to be here. I'm glad your doors are open for me to come in, but you don't get this. Enter Rahab. Here's this lady, faces the army, Jericho protects these two spies she and her family alone are the ones that are saved from the fall of Jericho she is the one who the, the the book tells us as it was written then is still a part of Israel she stayed there she found the God of heaven and the God of earth and she lives among his people But here's the line. She's also listed in the lineage of Jesus, Rahab. But can I introduce you to her? Twice, not for convenience sake, for our sakes. We are told, chapter 6, verse 25, but Joshua spared Rahab the prostitute. This lady who had sold herself, whether it was for personal gain or whether she was part of the temple worship of her dad, I'm not sure. But this lady who did so much lived the first part of her life in sin. That was where she walked. That's where she lived. That's where she breathed. She was a prostitute. Now enter God. I hope you hear this. This is so important for us. The God of Rahab doesn't care about her past. He wants her for the future. I don't know what you might be carrying or what you might be struggling with. I want you to know there is a God that's wrapping his arms around you this very moment, bringing you into the fold, putting you in the lineage of Jesus if you would dare to receive it because he's got a plan for you that's going to take you into a future and help us reach 80,000 people for Jesus. There's nobody eliminated in this group tonight, not a soul. You are loved. I'm, I'm going to give you the proof of it if you believe the Bible that is. John 3, 16. Majority of you probably know this one off by heart and at the count of three, I want you to go with me. One, two, three. For God so loved the world. Stop. He loves you. That was the most important message, so important to him that he sent Jesus to the cross, that he took him to bear our sins, that he he, he went through all the suffering and the shame that he had to go through, not because he was some sort of sadistic father, but his heart was busting for us. He saw our lostness, and he wanted to bring us into the fold. I'll tell you, we need Rahabs on the walls. We need Rahab's who are willing to step into the fro, who's willing to remove, remo- move from her past into a blessed, redeemed future. That's the God that we need our faith around, all of us. The Battle of Ai. I'll do this really quickly. you all read the story? You reading the story? Reading it? I hope you are. It's a good book. Um, Well, it starts with a man by the name of Achan who was part of the army that that moved in and took the plunder or or, or brought down the, the walls of Jericho or because God was there, you know what I mean. He was there in the battle, that one. But God had made it very clear that nobody takes the plunder out of Jericho. All the plunder of Jericho is mine, God says, and you don't take it. That was the deal. After this, all the other cities you defeat, It's yours, go for it, but not Jericho's. Achan is so much like us. He saw a really beautiful coat. He saw some silver. He saw some gold things. He saw all the plunder. And he said so rationally, who's going to miss this? What does it doesn't really matter? In the scheme of, the, of everything, the truth is I, I've given some sweat and heart and tears for this whole thing. I've watched through it. I, I've, I've trusted everything. I, I, I said with the rest of the crowd, I'll go wherever you call me to go, but there's a few things I could take. And he did. He put them under his cloak or however he snuck them out and he buried them under the tent, uh, the floor of his tent. Shortly after that, the next battle is Ai. It's a little, it's a hamlet compared to Jericho. Joshua says, we're not going to take the whole army out. Excuse me, we just need a, snoo- a few. Uh, let's not wear everybody out in the task. And they go up against Ai and they lose the battle. A number of people are killed in it. And you can imagine the consternation of Joshua. How could this ever happen? Well, long story short, through a process of elimination, the guilty part- or partner became Achan. They discovered that he had defiled the plan God, God's command to not take anything of the plunder out of Jericho. It was a sorry day for Aiken and his family. But here's our, here's our story. We, we, we can rationalize, rationalize so many things away, but we need to know that sin can't live in the church in intentional ways. We're sinners. Not, I'm not talking about perfection here. I'm talking about hearts that as you make your, work through your struggles of sin that your heart is centered around this God who will do what only he can do, right? But if we hold intentional sin, no matter how carefully we rationalize it away, the truth is this, 80,000 is not going to be 80,000. 80,000. That's the sorry story of it. Do you know why? It started off with Moses when he came to the burning bush and the whole story about creating a new nation. First thing he said to Moses, take off your feet, it's holy ground. When he comes to Joshua as he's getting ready to move into the city of Jericho, the first thing that he says to him, J- Joshua, take off your feet, or your shoes, you're on holy ground. You see, the reason we can't move forward as we are. There would be no reason for the cross if that was the case. The reason we can't move forward the way we are is because we are moving arm in arm with a holy God. And it's the holy God that's going to give us the 80,000. We can't trek that way with him. And so if you have become comfortable with your sin, if you thought you can't win over this sin, you need to do some very serious thinking and praying, and perhaps chatting with somebody, because We want to go forward. You want to go forward. There's nobody, I'm positive there's nobody here at the end of the day that says, I really want to be a sinner for God's sake. I doubt it. We hate our sin. At the end of the day, we feel the shame of our sin. Folks, we have to deal with it. It can't be buried under the tent. It doesn't go away. It's there, and we have to address it. But here's the truth. God's always the God of second chances. Second battle at AI, they win it handily out of obedience to God. So what's next? Well, there's a whole land of promise to capture, isn't there? Let's go for it. You know, here we've got great AI has been won. Rally the troops, bring the people together. Let's have a pep rally and rah-rah ourselves into the next phase. Now, here's what Joshua does under the instructions of God. He brings all the people together, not just the men, the women, the children, the foreigners, says. He brings them all together and he sits them down and he says, I need you to listen to this. And for them, he takes the holy writ. For them, it was the commandments and the works of Moses and he begins to read all of it to them in the circle. We think an hour and a half is a long service. They sat there longer. They heard the word because Moses knew as God had instructed him to know that the only way he was going to advance is when they advance under the conditions of God, not through the strategies that they come up with in brainstorming sessions. It has to be the movements of God because we're moving into the impossible for us. Well, they're being reminded of all that Moses had written regarding all that was written in the book of the law. That's what it was written out. There are five kings trembling over the victory at Ai. Five kings sitting around in various cities in this promised land, this area that they're going to be that they're going to be taking. Five kings are trembling over the victory at Ai, and they were forming a huge alliance hearing God's word, sitting here saying, I'm ready for this, I'm gonna go, I'm gonna sell myself out, I want you to know that there is no such thing as safe territory. While we are coming here together as God's people, there's an enemy that trembles and is scared stiff of every commitment that we make collectively. And he's already forming the next battle against us. Victory is this. The formula for constant victory is rejoice in the victory, prepare for the battle. That's my warning at the end of this. We're going to talk more about that next week as we look at the rise and the fall and the defeats of of the nation of Israel and as the judges were all raised up. That's taking place next week. But we just can't walk away here going, Oh, God. Good. We won Jericho. We got AI. We're moving on to the next piece of territory. There we go. It's easy squeezy. We can never rest and sit back and think that the enemy has become so terrified of us that he'll quit. He has become terrified of us that he's gone into panic mode, and he will start doing things even at greater degrees in order to stop the progress of the church. He has done it from its day inception, right from the, the, ver- the very day of its inception. He's moved it along. The battle does not stop. The battle has begun and there's great victory notes in the middle of it, but we are moving force. uh, We are a moving force that the enemy will need to be, that will need to contend with us if. If we're willing to take off our shoes and stand on holy ground and know that it's God who's going to take us from here to here. And there's no if, ands, or bouts about it. The if means I'm going to have to search my heart because I'm hanging on to stuff that's messing with my head and my heart and is destroying my faith and is shrinking my God down to an immovable or amovable or a too small a size. It's an important if. It's just not an impossible if. I like what it says in closing, 2 Corinthians 7.14. Many of you know it. But boy, it's a powerful statement for us in this moment. Because if, if my people who are called by my name, are we called by his name? I'm thinking so. If they will humble themselves, they'll acknowledge that before this holy God, they got some clean-up work to do. If they will humble themselves, and they'll begin to pray, acknowledging the fact that it's not my idea, it's yours, and I better get in touch with it, and seek my face, and know that there's no other person in this whole universe that's going to take us where we can never go on our own, and turn from their wicked ways, then I will hear from heaven, and I will forgive their sins, and I will heal their land. And then John picks it up many centuries later and he says to us, 1 John 1 and 9, if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and allow us, here's my interpretation, to take off our shoes, to stand on holy ground because the blood of Jesus is going to purify us from all unrighteousness.